All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. Um, we'd firstly like to thank our sponsors in Monster Energy, Fox Racing, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, ASG Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and obviously even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, none of this would be possible. So for this episode, we've got we've got the man back again, Jason Thomas from um, Fly Racing and and uh, yeah, former racer and sort of everything media guy in um in the world of moto. So how are you, mate? Another busy week, no doubt. Before you're flying off to Denver. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, two left, and then we'll wrap up uh, Monster Energy Supercross, and then set our sights on Pro Motocross this summer. So it's you know I was trying to explain to people that don't live in the same world we do, like how it works, and um you know like oh are you are you know I was kind of telling them it's two left, and then they're like are you excited to be home for summer? I'm like. No, that's not quite how it works. Um, just gonna gonna finish one and start another. But I mean, that you know, I think they look at it and they're like, "Oh, that's horrible news." But I'm like, "No, it's it's not because this is what I choose to do and what I I love doing." Um, it is it does wear on everybody a bit. There's no question about that. But um, I wouldn't do it otherwise. So uh, no, there's no downside to it for me other than I just need to kind of make sure I get my sleep during the week and I'm fresh on the weekends. Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, the most taxing schedule, but like you said, yeah, you, you love to take the opportunities. And um, yeah, cheers for squeezing this one in too, mate. We'll um, look forward to chatting and having a quick chat about MXGP here. And um, so, yeah, the MXGP of Portugal, obviously, Hurling's um, got the 101st win, levelling up with um, Everts and just a pretty impressive ride again. He's um, coming to the fore in those second motos. And yeah, he got his first whole shot of the season in the qualifying race. And and he's got the most points in the second motos. Uh, Lorenzo was telling us the other day, and by a long way, obviously, Prado's won every single first moto, and Fevre's got the most points in the qualifying races now, um, which seems weird to say with Prado doing so well at the start of the season. Um, it does, yeah. Yeah, but uh, and, and just a stat Paul Marlin had on the TV broadcast, 122 hole shots for Prado since 2016. So another great weekend of action, mate. Um, what were your takes on it? Yeah, it was. And uh, I was lucky enough to go last time we spoke was before this round. And I was lucky enough to go to this race last year. And, uh, you know, they flipped the the circuit around. So directionally, it was all different, which does a lot for changing the look and feel of, hmm. of a racetrack. Um, so these guys kind of had to learn the track, um, even though you're used to the soil types. And I think the settings that these guys would use uh, are still applicable, which helps a lot. Uh, but yeah, a big part of of Saturday is just trying to to learn the track and find the race lines and how all the sections are put together because so many of these tracks uh, these guys have ridden sim- similarly to the USA guys race most of the same tracks each year and you you already know where the lines are going to develop before they do right you just put in so many laps and so many so many years of racing for some of these guys on these courses that you already know what it's going to look like in the second moto on on Sunday afternoon. But when you turn the course around, that changes. All the all the angles are different, and uh, the momentum, kind of the apexes of the corners are different. So uh, it was fun to kind of watch them figure all those things out. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously there was all the racing too. But my initial my initial thoughts going in were who was going to figure out the tr- the track uh, quickly because they have that all important uh, you know qualifying sprint race on on Saturday now, which is is points paying. Yeah, it was it was certainly interesting. A lot of um. Bit of bit of talk about the prep, the, the track prep, obviously with the watering, especially ahead of the MX2 first race, yeah, a bit yeah. of overkill. Like I know it was hot and there was a bit of wind and things like that, but uh, 
yeah, they definitely probably uh, overdid that one. But yeah, a lot of guys said they quite liked the track. Um, sort of nice, nicer flow in that in that particular layout, and but the, but it did get pretty beaten up as you as you would well know. Um, yeah, lots of sketchy bumps, lots of sort of edges and ledges on jump faces, and but yeah, it, look, it looked like they, the guys had a lot of fun, and yeah, it was just really hard to to make up time because everyone was doing similar times and the and the gaps. It was really difficult to make moves like you saw with Blander and having to pretty much rely on Prado to fall off in that second one to get by. And then he just couldn't put the, put the moves on Jeremy. So did, did you see, um, see the track sort of just not really, not really sort of giving much separation. It was really had to work for it, except if you Jeffrey Hurlings. Yeah, it was, it was the same last year. Um, just the mm. way the dirt shapes up, there aren't a lot of uh, distinct lines, right? So you come into a corner and it's just kind of like a, an open berm or turn without really any, significant so if you're just an average fan you're kind of looking at it going okay where where are they going to turn here where's the line uh we're normally if you look at a corner there's you know five ruts in it for mxgp and and it's really easy to for for the riders or the fans to kind of say okay well they're going to pick one of these ruts i think this track takes uh more thought in some ways because you need to you need to set the corners up to carry momentum through them and things like that and you really need to to think to set passes up uh more to your point so when you did see passes happen, it wasn't like a rider would just come up on someone and just blow right past them. They almost had to get behind them, figure out a line, and then set up a pass two or three or four corners ahead of time, build that momentum, and then make their move all at once. And and that's, you know, that's common for tracks like this. Um, yeah, if you remember last week, I kind of mentioned that. It's like this track is hard to pass on. And even though they flipped the circuit around, it still has those characteristics. Um, the dirt's still the same, and the way that the uh, the thought process that goes into building this racetrack is still the same. So I kind of expected that to still be the case, and it, and it was. Um, if you if you didn't get a good start, your life was really difficult. And uh, yeah, if you were if you were near the front, you saw even in the MX2 class, guys like Jack Chambers for four or five laps were able able to stay in yeah. the top three or top four. Um, and that's just kind of how this, this racetrack plays out. That's not every week, right? And I think that's one of the, the great things about this series is that there are so many different types of racetrack. I mean, even down to the, the colors of the soil and it just, you get a little bit of everything. Um, so yeah, it, it was tough. Uh, but like I said last week, I, you know, I would be, have done everything in my power to focus on the start just because you knew for the mm. next 35 minutes, it was going to be the most important aspect of the race. Yeah, it's that's it's a very good point you make. Yeah, it's uh, it's just you sort of look back and there's just so many like world champions in that class, and we're missing Geyser as well. And it's the level really is quite outrageous in MXGP at the moment. And and you see, you just see how how hard someone like Roman Febvre was pressing. Like he was just pushing, like hanging off the bike, trying all these little extra things, trying different lines, um, through the waves, um, doubling in, like just trying everything to make those gaps up, wasn't it? And he, he would probably be a little bit frustrated. Um, obviously, he's got the speed to, to have a win by now, but it hasn't quite come together. Switzerland, he was just pushing, stuck behind Prado, definitely the fastest man that day, even though Renault won. But um, how have you seen things for Roman? He's definitely growing well since that arm pump surgery in the off-season, and he's, he's probably looking pretty primed for a win soon, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely improving. Um, you can see confidence and speed and fitness all – starting to trend the right way. Um, he's able to kind of get in the fight where I felt like before everything kind of needed to go his way. Um, and that, you know, certainly it did on certain weekends, but 
other times he just was off the pace and um, that's, that's normal coming back off of a, a big injury. And I also remember they had a huge team change last year, which yep. they were very late to the party working through new motorcycle, new technicians, new engineers, new everything. Uh, so yeah, I think you're seeing a much more uh, realistic Roman this year of what it can be and what it should be for him. Um, and yeah, I think as the rounds go on, he'll have tracks that are favorable to him and he's, he's going to get a few wins. Um, I think Jeffrey is still the man to be title wise. That's pretty obvious, but I do believe that, that Roman will get, uh, at least a couple of MXGP wins this year. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got into third now ahead of, uh, Maxine who had a, who had a bit of a weekend to forget, didn't he? Obviously qualifying race, uh, didn't happen for him and the bike, a bike issue, obviously. And you could see the frustration and the the anger sort of was sort of rifling through him. He was, he's kind of the guy that accepts, doesn't really like accepting failure because he works so hard and he puts everything into it. So, and then the races didn't go to plan um, with some mistakes, but um, that one will hurt. And obviously heading into Spain, he won his first MXGP overall last year. So he'll be looking to quickly get back on the horse, won't he? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, I hate to say that it's typical for him, but it's more of just what yeah. we saw at the beginning of last season where he took himself out of championship contention, not necessarily because of his riding or the speed or anything. It was just these weekends where he just couldn't put the motos together. And in those situations, right. What I think he'll, as he develops, we have to remember, he's still very young as he develops. He just, he has to be a little bit better at damage control. And I know he's trying to right? that's easy for me to say, uh, not ever being near the level he's at, but I, having watched champion after champion, whether it's MXGP or, you know, in the USA, that's something that they were so prominent at is if things aren't going well, if you're having a bad day, you still need to, you know, find a way to get a fifth or a sixth or a seventh. You know, you can't let that turn into more mistakes and more problems than then you're looking up and you've got 10 or 15 points on the day where your competitors, you know, are up in the forties. So um, that's something he'll learn. And I think as he continues to develop, not only, riding technique wise and all those things, but just mentally is, is being able to calm down and say, okay, well, I'm not going to win today, but you know what? I'm going to get a bunch of points and it's not going to completely derail my season. So I think that's just one more thing. Like there, he has so many attributes that, w that are going to allow him to be great. That's just one where I think it's, it's one of the last few remaining that he's going to have to sort out. Yeah. It's not, it's not often you see him as a uh, kind of, well, the fourth Yamaha in, in there, but obviously with behind his teammates, possible Andrew as well. And, and yeah, 18 points and 10th overall is definitely not what you want to do. And, and you look at someone like Prado, just to refer back, obviously getting getting third overall, winning the first moto, which he's done in every round this year. And then, yeah, he's sort of just, I guess you could say, managing the second motos, um, not always going his way, um, you know, battling with guys like Belandron, who's obviously yeah, in, in incredible form at the moment. But it's it's probably not where he wants to be in the second motos. It's a bit of a conundrum for him at the moment. Um what do you sort of think he, he needs to be doing? Or do you think he's just playing the long game at the moment and happy with that? I, you know, I just think it's, it's who he is at the moment. Um, he's such an incredible sprinter. Um, you know, if you, if the track is smooth and easy and things are perfect, he's, I don't want to say impossible to be, but he makes life very hard for these guys. But as the track gets rougher, hotter, conditions deteriorate, um, he's still great. You know, but he's not the superhuman guy that he is when conditions are much better. So uh, 
it's something we t- we've talked about before, but I think the rounds that are incredibly difficult and rough and hot as we start to roll into summer are going to be mm. the vulnerabilities. That's where Jeffrey can really make up a bunch of points in a weekend, just like he did in race two, where Jorge can't get around, you know, wander and passes him and he ends up with a sixth and Jeffrey wins. Like those are the type yeah. of points hauls that Jeffrey can really make the most of on the hottest days, because we have to, we have to know that Prado is going to win. He's going to win qualifying races and he's probably going to win several race ones. But in those really difficult times, can Jeffrey really capitalize? Because I think the way this is going, Jeffrey's going to be, he's getting, he's only getting better and he'll be, you know, when Prado wins race one, Jeffrey will be two, three, four, but in the race two, if Prado's not having a good time and Jeffrey wins, that could be five, six, seven, eight. And then Mm -hmm. it really starts to to add up on the point. So it's a, it's a tough challenge, I think for Jeffrey, because of, you know, it's already hard enough. Prado's great, you know, world champion, but this, this qualifying race adds a new dimension to it in the points that Jeffrey has to always be mindful of because you're going to be fighting an uphill battle if you allow Prado to keep winning. And, and I know he doesn't even have the most points in that, but he's, he's been mm-hmm. really proficient in those qualifying races. And it's, it's a new challenge for Jeffrey that he hasn't ever had to kind of deal with before Saturday, which is this. Yeah. So what grid position, no big deal, but now yeah. it can, it can absolutely affect your championship. Yeah. Well said. And obviously he has, he's only got one point less than Fever, So he's still doing well. And Hurling's um, yeah. just the arm pump. He's having major issues with that. Probably. I think, on those sprint races and on the first race. So that's probably what's helping Prado a little bit too. But um, it's going to be interesting how he handles. It's going to be 28 degrees roughly this weekend in Spain, which is which is certainly hot enough for racing. And, and he's got a, the added pressure of a home GP. And it's going to be massive pressure and expectation on him this weekend. I'm sure he'll be having all the custom gear and he'll be doing an outrageous amount of media. So that'll probably, like, like you know, racing yourself, that will definitely ruin his ideal preparations like we were talking i was talking to adamo and even he's an mx2 sort of burgeoning star i guess you could say and he said i was stressing out because i was doing all this media because it was my home gp and it really did um throw me off because it wasn't how i wanted to or how i like to prepare for races so how how do you reckon um that'll throw a spanner in the works or it's just sort of you got to rise to the challenge because that's what's in front of you isn't it yeah i think he'll be okay because he's he's been down this road before Mm -hmm. and he's really ridden well at this particular race. Um, So I think he'll, he will come in really confident and I don't know if it's the dirt or the environment or, you know, being his home race or something about this event clicks for Prado. And uh, I think we'll see his best stuff this weekend. The interesting thing, and that is, you know, critical for him to perform this weekend. But to me, it's almost more interesting to see how Jeffrey responds to that, because I think we're going to get a great performance from, from Prado, but can Jeffrey, counter that knowing that Prado's got all these things and he's going to want to go out there and win and and send the crowd into a frenzy. My opinion is that Jeffrey's personality flies in the face of that. Like he would take so much joy in crashing the party and ruining all of these Spanish fans Sunday, right? That's, that's who Jeffrey is as a person. He's antagonistic. He's brash. And I think, very much so for his own, you know, he wants to win his 102nd GP and, and all, you know, points and all those things, but somewhere deep down inside Jeffrey Hurlings, he wants to win this weekend just because every fan at that place will be cheering for the number 61. Yeah. He's got that edge. He's a, he's a definite animal. And 
And um, Lorenzo was saying um, yesterday in the press conference after Portugal, after the win, he said, yeah, I got the, I got, I need one more win to, you know, the, the real challenge is winning, you know, getting the 102, but I've got more moto wins than Stefan. So like he's, he's definitely, uh, <laughs> he's just always sort of getting that little one up and he, he likes playing those games yeah. a little bit too. But um, it was interesting actually to see Fernandez winning the qualifying race over him. Um, and he, he's a guy that's sort of going in a, in a nice direction and, um, yeah, just off the podium again, um, like he was in Trentino. Um, obviously, we have mistakes. Just those little mistakes sort of get to him. But he's overall, you'd have to say probably the season's been good. Um, Riola was just one to forget, definitely, in the sand. But he's doing pretty well at the HRC, awning all the focus and, the, I guess, the pressure on him. And, you know, the, the bike and the framework's there for success. And you can tell that he's just so committed, so fast. Um, there's still so much scope for improvement. But there's a little bit of maturing and little bit more discipline coming into his riding, would you say? A little bit less wild, and he's going well so far, I guess you could say, five rounds in. Yeah, he's he's been very impressive to me. Uh, I went and re-watched race two this weekend, and uh, I mean, he wasn't pressuring Jeffrey, but he was really the only one that could keep him honest in that yeah. race. And to see where he's come, he he was he's always had speed, but he was just one race crash, one race do well. And it just seemed like it just never ended. There was no consistency whatsoever. And he was really trying to cope with going that fast without making critical mistakes. And it seems like he's progressing to where he's able to go that speed and remove the pivotal mistake. And that's, that's just a, a development process that you see great riders go through is for most, they can never go that fast. No matter how many times they're, they're going to crash, they still can't go the pace. Then there is this level where, yeah, they're on the edge and yeah, they can go that fast, but you know they're going to crash and it's just a matter of when. And then the next evolution of that is the rider that can maintain that pace. They can go the pace that it takes to win without taking a lot of risk. And yes, they even have a level above that that puts them into that risk category. But that's where I see Fernandez kind of getting to is like this place where podiums are in the cards every week and he doesn't have to risk his entire season to kind of be on that line. So good for him. I'm sure, you know, Honda HRC is thrilled after losing uh, Tim to have Fernandez kind of stepping up and filling that void. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's going to work wonders for his career. Cause I, I think he'll be able to, to keep a factory seat for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's doing well in the circumstances for sure. And um. Calvin Valandring obviously must be very impressed with him. Um, I spoke to him yesterday and he said he's really feeling really comfortable and consistent in the class. And also to say, and I feel like that, that Sandman, that's that Riola win is kind of uh, that stigma attached to that, which a lot of people associate with him. He's kind of removing that pretty well because he's, he's proving yeah. he's kind of a top five, uh, top, top 10 guy on his bad days. And he's definitely a podium is close, I would say, but it's just, he deserves a lot of credit for doing what, Doing, he's been a long journey to get to where he is today and you know he's battling it out and with all those heavy hitters and he's really holding his own like he was he's got this the speed and he's he's only really on a stock bike and he's a, definitely a good advertisement for Yamaha because he said it's one of the yeah one of the best bikes he's ever ridden and I think he's getting very minimal support from Yamaha I think I think he said a clutch and that, that's kind of it and he's doing it by himself without a teammate at the races even though he sort of works with those these trainers a lot to do with the Hutton Mattel guys in EMX. So Bonacorsi and Resolus and these guys, but yeah, he's, he's doing a very good job. Um, and it's just great to see someone on a privateer sort of private team doing so well and beating factory guys every week. And he was putting himself in the shop window and it, you just can't imagine anyone to ignore him for a full factory ride next year. 
Yeah, I, I've been very, very impressed with Bondurham. And, and I think you nailed it with the stigma. That Royola win last year was was emotional, but anytime you're racing in a, in conditions like that where the track is such an outlier event, like if it was Lommel or Royola, everyone just wants to say, well, it's the same. You know, it's, it's a totally different dynamic, but he's, he's brushing that aside. He is becoming a full-fledged, you know, MXGP contender, regardless of the soil. And if you watched that race too this weekend, he wasn't, you know, I think if you just looked at it on paper and you saw Prado kind of finish right behind you, like, oh man, you know, Prado must've been coming through and just couldn't get around him. That wasn't the case. You know, Calvin mm. passed him and then Calvin was even pressuring up to, I believe, Sewer yeah. on the last lap there. And, and he wasn't close to making a move, but I think it just goes to prove the level he's at that he wasn't falling victim to these big name riders around him. He was actually pressing forward and, and on the last lap, putting pressure on Jeremy to try to move forward. So um, I think it was a something that was kind of beneath the surface. Most people probably didn't see it or notice or care, but little things like that to me speak volumes because I think it leads to where you're kind of going and, and it solidifies your placement in that class uh, because I don't think Jorge came off the track going, man, just one more lap and I would have got Blandron. Like he was really yeah. not pressuring him at all. And that, that says a lot for, uh, for Calvin's development. And again, a full privateer effort. There aren't many riders that could be in that mix or honestly deserve to be in that mix, but he, he seems to be there. And well, and I hope he's there all year. I, you know, the more parody that we have at the top and more unlikely names, I think it just adds to the series. Yeah. Great points. And um, you feel like an eight, five for seventh overall, once again, um, didn't reflect his speed like a lot of races we're sort of finding this year, but yeah, it was interesting. And like you said, how he's, how he's growing so well and to get where he is. And he, he sort of managed the pressure from, from, from in front, obviously he was pressuring Sewa most of the moto and he managed Prado from behind. So, and that obviously um, conditions how you race a little bit. He said he couldn't hear the gas cast too much because even though Prado was close, he wasn't super close. And it's not like a Yamaha where you can just hear it, you know, ride on you, but yeah, you must sort of, he said the only thing he knew that Jorge was there was the shadow with those, some of those jumps he could see, but um, that must be impressive, especially for you as an ex-racer, that would be a key sign in someone's development, being able to hold the pace and, and sort of manage a situation like that. Yeah, he just looks the part, you know, he doesn't look like he's in over his head. He doesn't look intimidated by the riders, the names on the back of their jerseys or the pace. And, uh, I think it just is a clear sign of he's kind of ready to arrive. Now that doesn't mean he's going to go out and win GPs and become a world champion and all that stuff. It just means he's going to be one of, one of that elite group of guys at the top, you know, the Coldenhoffs and Jeremy and, and, you know, there's a list of 10 or 12 of them that I thought Calvin was always kind of on the back end of, right. He just didn't seem to have the weekend and week out pace that they did. Like regardless of the, where you were, which continent you were on conditions, you knew those guys were going to show up. Calvin was like, okay, if everything's perfect, he can do it. But he, you know, wasn't where he is now. And and I'm hoping this is going to be what we're going to see week in and week. That's, that's the feeling I've had over the first few rounds. He's really made strides in the offseason, and he's just ready to be that guy now. Yeah, and, and another guy that we sort of, you know, had big expectations for. I know he did as well. Um, Jeremy Sayo, fifth overall. Um, he kind of didn't really have the pace, um, which, which he was sort of saying, but he – I guess you'd say it's a solid ride and a good one to sort of get back the, the confidence after a really challenging start to the year and get back on the right path, just a steady race. Um, speed was was solid, but it wasn't what you expect from him and and just to minimise the risks and 
have no incidents and sort of keep building from here? Is that how you see it with Jeremy? Yeah, you know, I, I expected more from Jeremy. If you look at over the last few years, he's been right there, right? He's he's had so many second place finishes and, and runners up finishes in the championship and those things. And, you know, I don't think he's happy with things, how they've gone so far. I think he has a lot more to show us. Um, so I'm optimistic. I, I think he'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, if, if he can get back to his trademark hole shots, which, um, you know, he kind of did at uh, in Portugal, I think there are better days ahead for him. I, I'm just a Jeremy fan. I think he's one of the most underrated stories. If you look at, you know, where he came from and to me, he didn't, he wasn't one of those guys that was very naturally gifted. He really had to work for everything he's, he's gotten. Um, so yeah, I'm, I cheer for him more times than not. I like him off the bike. I like his personality. So I'm hoping that he can find a way to start turning this thing around and get back kind of where he belongs up, up in the podium battle anyway. Absolutely. A, a good Jeremy C was definitely good for MXGP. That's for sure. And, and he never gives up and he's always strong at, at the second half of seasons. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of a bit disappointing seeing him eighth in the standings and basically a hundred points back already. But um, yeah, a couple more guys before we wrap it up. Guadagnini uh, just needs to piece it all together. He's got some good starts, some great riding, but mistakes are absolutely killing him. And um, just looking back, it's about a year to the day or almost to the day where he stepped up to MXGP from MX2 and um, Riola, I believe it was. So uh, signs are, are, are promising, but with the with the silly season coming and the ferocity for seats, he you know he'll definitely want to do a little bit more soon, won't he? Yeah, I think and, and the starts are going to be everything for for Matia. I don't I don't think he's going to be able to come from tenth or twelfth and get to you know fourth or fifth. Um, he's yeah. going to have to race from the front, and I I think he would probably agree with that. There's just too many healthy guys with too much talent, too much speed right now to think where he's at in his career that he's just going to mow through the field and get there. Um, so yeah, you know, if, if, if you know that going in, then, you know, prepare accordingly and, uh, you just got, you have to put all of your emphasis on the start and that's easy to say. That's not like you could say, okay, I'm just going to concentrate harder this time. Um, yeah. but you, you just know how critical it is for, for Matias. So you better be practicing during the week. You better be setting your bike up for the start specifically because your race kind of depends on it. That's not the same for everybody, but I think it is for him. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the occasions, the, the rare, you know, a couple of occasions he's got the start, he, he's he's dropped it. So, yeah, the speed's good. Just, yeah, the results are not there yet. And um, just a quick chat on Yago, just sort of, yeah, dominant again. Another six, he's, I think he's the only man that's got a 60-point weekend and he's done it twice and just on another level again, flexing his muscles. Um, not really because the class is weak or anything. It's just because he's, yeah, just really rising to the fore and he's uh, on definitely just way better than everyone else at the moment. And he knows the tracks and he's, got the experience so uh your take on yago just looking pretty formidable yeah and this is um this is his year you know you look at the the riders he's up against no one really has the experience at this level that he does or the resume you know what whatever metric you want to use they just don't have what yago has he's had to battle former world champions for going on you know five or six years now and he's had he's gone toe to toe with each of them. Sometimes successful, sometimes sometimes not. But when you go up and down the line, you got, you see who he has to really battle for this title. He should be winning most of the time. He should be pulling the hat trick on weekends. So I think you'll see more of the same. Uh, really, the only thing that I think can derail this thing would be injury or mechanical failure. Um, I just think it's his time. He's had to wait. You know, he came out on the losing end with Vial last year, but. Yeah, for him to not end up world champion this year, I think would be, uh, yeah, it would be tragic because he's easily the best rider. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and the last one, just some predictions for Spain and your thoughts on the track. And obviously, not not a lot of guys like this track that much. Um, Landon said it's probably his least favorite track on the circuit. Um, yeah, it's it's just just unique, and uh, the soils, um, yeah, obviously gets pretty muddy when they water it, and it'll be sort of dry. And yeah, those ruts do develop, but it's quite quite an interesting race to to see. But um, yeah, predictions, mate. I I think you know Maxime Renault obviously won there last year. Maybe he'll bounce back. Um, and then it's hard to go past Yago. Uh, in MX2, isn't it? And maybe Thibaut Beniston, too, had a shocking round in Portugal. Looked good in the qualifying yeah. practices, but just the races, he didn't look comfortable, did he? No, and, and Beniston, quickly, he, I think he, he really needs uh, very specific lines and ruts to be his best self. When the track's open and it's flowing and fast, that's not what he does well. It doesn't mean he can't be competitive. It's just not what his strength is. And I think that played out in Portugal. But when you get to a track like uh, Torchenthal or these, some of these other tracks where it's you have to be just picture perfect in your line choice and bike skill, uh, you're going to see a much better Tebow at those tracks. Um, but as, as far as Spain this weekend, you know, it's a man-made event. Um, it's not a kind of naturally occurring racetrack. And some people can handle that better than others, right? And, um, you know, I think attitude is, is a big part of this weekend. It's going to be hot or hotter anyway. Um, and I think you just have to accept it for what it is. I view this event a little bit like the the track in Turkey where there's not a lot of elevation. It's flat. You can tell it was built specifically to, to host an event. Um, and you just have to make the most of that. You just have to put yourself in a mindset where, okay, everybody has to race the same track, good, bad, and different. We're all in the same one and they're still going to hand out a lot of points and, and there's bonus money up for grabs. So, uh, I like it, as, but I don't have to race it, right? If that makes any sense, I'm not the yeah. one that has to get out there. So uh, I, I'm totally okay with the event. I like having it be very convenient for spectators and being in a big metro area can bring in all these people from Madrid. But for the racers, I, I completely understand it. To compare this to some of the more scenic, awesome racetracks, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is a little bit of a letdown. And have you got, just to, to before I let you go, just the picks, mate? Who, who have you got in each class? Yeah, I... I think Prado wins this weekend. Um, he's just been lights out at, the, at this particular racetrack, and I think he'll ri- kind of rise up to the challenge. Um, and, and I'm a always pick Jeffrey guy. So that's that's saying a lot for me. I yeah. just always de- default to picking Jeffrey. And then in the 250s, I'm just going to keep picking Yago until I'm wrong. Uh, I, I yeah. think he is head and shoulders better than everybody else in this class. Uh, just age, and there's so many other factors in MX2 that all kind of run into each other. And I just think this is his year. This will be his year to dominate. Yeah, well said. And, um, thanks again for joining us, Miles. Give the sponsors a quick shout out before we um, wrap it up. But yeah, Monster Energy, Fox Racing, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and obviously even Strokes, as without them, there's no us. So thanks again, JT, mate. All the best and um, have a great weekend uh, at the Supercross and um, look forward to speaking soon, mate. All right, mate. See ya. Thanks again.